Welcome to the training. The reason you're here is because you don't have integrity. I'm sure you have integrity with other people. I'm sure you keep your word mostly with other people. You've just lost integrity with yourself. The problem with that is self-integrity leads to self-dignity. So if you've lost some of your self-integrity, well, then you've lost some of your self-dignity. We need to restore your self-dignity by restoring your self-integrity. So here's how you'd start that journey. Keeping small promises to yourself. What are the choices I can start controlling right now that's going to align me and move me in the direction of that vision and purpose that I really want? Well, once it's really hard and heavy, maybe even seemingly impossible, can become light and easy when you knock it out step by step in that way. Oh yeah, many of you know that voice belongs to inspirational coach and speaker, Mike Lonzetta. Mike has already been a guest on the podcast in episode number 106, one of the most popular episodes of 2020. We talked at length in that conversation about focus, meaning, and behavior, and how these affect our results, our happiness, and truly our entire lives. Mike is a Cutco Vector Hall of Famer who has coached or is now coaching a who's who of great leaders in the company, including new division manager David Roy, pillar district managers like Anthony Hayes, top new DMs like Miranda McAllister, and even elite Cutco sales professionals like Russ Wimbrock. Mike is back today by popular demand to share the two most important coaching concepts that he works on regularly with his clients and that are top of mind right now as being relevant to anyone. I know you'll get a ton of value from this conversation with Mike Lonzetta. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Mike, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Dan, thanks for having me. I'm honored to be a guest the first time and even more so the second time. So thank you. Yes, yes. Well, as I said, you're back by popular demand. And what I had in mind for today was for us to unpack a couple of your most important coaching concepts that you're working on regularly with your clients, the things that are sort of top of mind for you as being relevant to anybody in the vector business or out of the vector business who wants to learn more about life and wants to be able to improve their results. And so I know that we have discussed covering two sort of key areas today. And the first one is 
revolving around the neuroscience of motivation. So, Mike, unpack this one for us a little bit. Yeah, gladly. So this one comes up quite a bit on coaching calls. And I feel like this could be massively impactful for anyone listening, whether you're in the Cutco business, outside of the Cutco business, this, this affects every human being. And I'll, I'll start off by saying there's a motivation center in the brain, the part of the brain called the striatum, essentially the part of the brain that, that registers what you're going towards, the goals, the vision you're moving towards, to the parts of the brain that actually moves you towards them. And what uh, some recent neuroscience has found is it was what really lights up the striatum. And there's two primary things that lights up the striatum. The first thing that really lights it up is knowing why. Why are we doing something? What are the reasons we're doing this for? And the more connected we are to why we're doing something, the more clear we are on that why, the more motivated we are to go do that thing. And so that's the first ring, really. We'll, we'll get into the second thing. But the first one, and, and it, it's, it can be oversimplistic because some people hear that and they're like, yeah, I've heard that before. Know my why. But it, it's not just knowing your why. It's being connected to your why. It's looking at it and kind of feeling it on a consistent basis that really creates that motivation. So how do people do that, Mike? How do they connect to their why? I guess, first of all, how do you have people identify their reasons why? And then what can they do to be connected to it on a regular basis? So one of the people I coach, his name is McCall Simons. And McCall was an amazing district manager. He was also a great pilot manager for Brian Stevenson. Now he's, now he's working for a wonderful company called Faith Influence. And I remember last year when McCall was the sales manager, I helped him have a $50,000 personal sales push. And one of the th reasons why that, that happened, and he'll, he'll tell you this, what really unlocked that experience for him was on our coaching call right before the push, I asked him this question. I said, hey, you know, what's your vision? What's your goal? What are you working towards? And more importantly, why does that matter to you? And so for anyone listening, you know, whatever it is you're working towards, whether it's some big major 10-year or lifelong goal, or whether it's you know, a two-week push period that you're, you're just working hard for these next two weeks, whatever the, whatever the goal is, no matter how long in the future it is, once you know what you're working towards, I would encourage you just to sit down for 5-10 minutes, write down the question, why is this important to me? Why does this matter? Something I learned from John Berghoff is unpacking that why in three layers. So you want to ask, why is this important for you personally? And personally, it could be skill development, character development. So it could be materialistic stuff. It could be the Tesla you want to buy or the new home you want to get or being able to save up certain X amounts of dollars. So why for you personally? Second layer is relationally. Why is it going to matter to those you care most about? And of course, that can be family, wife, children, parents, brothers, sisters, loved ones. And also anyone that you may be working with who you might be closest to. You know, maybe if you're a part of a vector team, maybe it's your assistant manager staff or those who you really are close to. And then the third layer is, you know, societal or community. And that's just basically bigger picture. And I encourage the clients that I work with to take that bigger picture, however big they want to take it. So it could be, you know, why does this matter to all the customers in your territory? Or why does this matter to the community that you live in? Or why does this matter to the world? Why is it you going after this 50K push in these next two weeks affects the world, right? And however big anyone wants to tell you that bigger picture is up to them. But if someone can really just sit down for a few minutes, and that's what it takes, is just taking time to reflect, taking time to actually dig in with ourselves and ask, why does this matter to me, those I care most about? And like I said, the bigger picture. And then once we've done that, 
and this is what I really encourage McColl to do as well, is look at it consistently, right? So most people never even write it down. So if you've done that, you're ahead of the game. But that's not enough. It's something that we've got to connect to on a consistent basis. And if you look at it daily, at least weekly, we can remind ourselves, especially when stuff gets hard. I tell people all the time, purpose gives us the power to push through the pain. Purpose gives us the power to push through the pain. Because especially when things get hard, we have to be connected. So why does it matter? Why am I willing to push through this pain to get to the other side? Mm. So how do you suggest that somebody reminds themselves of the why on a regular basis? Yeah, so I recommend, I call them my, my AVAs, my easily visible availability, my easily visibly available reminders, right? So that can be you know things on the wall, that could be a poster board, that could be writing it on your whiteboard, that could be putting it on an index card that maybe if you're doing the majority of your work on a computer, for example, putting on a sticky note or an index card and having that right next to your screen. So right before you go into your meeting or your trainings, or your appointments or whatever you're doing, you look at that and you pause and you really take that in before diving in. So it could be that, it could be on the dash of your car. I also recommend door triggers. So if we're going into an environment, again, whether it's the screen as our door or whether we're actually going into a physical environment, when we walk into that door, we think about who do I want to be and why does it matter to me, right? So if I'm walking in, I'm going to hang out with family, I want to let go of anything I might have just been dealing with from work or whatever, and I want to be fully present and caring for my family. So I think about, okay, who do I want to be for my family and why does that matter? And so having some kind of easily visible, available reminders, Ava's, for me, I think that's what helps. So that way, we're not just hopefully remembering ourselves. We got something that can prompt that memory for us. That's outstanding, Mike. So reasons why are one of the key things that light up our brain and help create motivation. And then you said there was a second item that was even more important. Yeah, yeah. So this one, this one tends to be a surprise. The reasons why I think tends to be something that you know people hear there and like, yeah, I think I've heard that before. This one for most people is new. And the second thing that lights up the motivation center of the brain is having a high locus of control. In other words, when we feel like we're the ones controlling our choices more than circumstances, our feelings, or other people are controlling our choices. And so when we, when we feel like we're controlling our choices more than circumstances, feeling, and other people, we feel motivated. We feel more confident. We feel more excited. We feel more in control, right? Versus if we feel like life, circumstances, and other people are controlling our choices more, and then we feel demotivated. We feel even in some cases helpless. Well, why do you think so many people lack this feeling of control, Mike? Well, for one, we get caught up in focusing on things that we cannot control. And what we focus on, we feel. You know, We covered that in the last episode, right? So we focus on, we feel. And the more we focus on things we cannot control, the more we feel like we can't control them. But the other thing really here is just, it's just habits. We just create habits. And so an example of this would be, let's say in the Cutco world, to have appointments to make sales, we got to make calls to get those appointments. And for a lot of people, you know, making calls isn't maybe their most favorite part of the job. And so there tends to be a resistance, there tends to be a procrastination. And what happens is someone says, okay, I know I got to do phone time. I know it's important. All right, I'm going to do it. Next time, you know, 7 p.m. comes around. I know that's the ideal time. I'm going to make calls. And 7 p.m. comes around. And they don't make calls. So the motivation center goes, oh, geez, maybe we can't control this choice. No, next time though, next time, it's important. I got to do it. I know I got to do it. Next time I'm going to do it for sure. Next time comes around. 
oh, oh geez, oh, look, I'm, I got to take care of this thing over here. And we get pulled into this thing. We let ourselves get distracted. And then our brain goes, oh, man, we really can't control this choice, can we? But no, this time, no, for real, this time. And then we don't. And the brain starts saying to us, well, I don't, I don't think I can trust myself when it comes to this. And so then what happens is people feel this resistance to the activity, whether it's phone time or PR calls or whatever that thing we procrastinate is, we feel this resistance. And some people, of course, have a fear of rejection when it comes to the phone. What if someone answers and says no, or is even maybe rude? Or you know, what if I make 100 calls and no one answers and I've wasted all this time? So maybe there's a fear of wasting time. But in my experience, what really keeps people back is the fact that they've perpetuated this habit of having no control over this choice. It comes time to do it. And the brain remembers, hey, we're not very good at controlling this choice. And it doesn't like feeling that way. So then it takes us to whatever is going to distract us and make us feel better in the moment. It reminds me of the people, Mike, that will say like, oh, I just don't feel like it. Right? There's something they know they're supposed to do. And they're like, well, I just, I don't feel like it. Right? Like, I want to say like, who gives a shit what you feel like? Like you decided that you're going to do this. Like this is, it's time. Let's go. Yeah. No matter how you feel, come on. Yeah. So you make a good point there, Dan. I'll, I'll just say really quick. When people are saying that, part of why they're saying that is because it helps them feel like they're reestablishing control. When they say, I don't feel like it, that's basically them saying, I give myself permission to not do this because I'm the one saying I don't feel like it. Therefore, I'm the one that's not choosing to do it. When in reality, it's not so much their choice. They're really letting their feelings choose for them. But they kind of cover that up by saying, I don't feel like it, therefore I'm not. Hmm. Interesting. So how do people recapture a true feeling of control? So one of the greatest examples that I, I heard to answer this question, I was, at a, I was at something called Growth Summit, put on by Brennan Burchard a couple of years back. And they had this couple there, Chris and Heidi Powell. And they didn't allude to the striatum or anything we're getting into now. But what they talked about, it really ties in. And so this couple, they used to have a show called Extreme Makeover Weight Loss Edition. And they would help these people lose 200, 300, 400 plus pounds. And for anyone who's listening, who's ever lost 10 pounds or 20 pounds, you know that can be a challenge. So imagine losing 200, 300, 400 pounds. I mean, it's, it's almost seemingly impossible for some people. And so how would they do it? And he said he would have three steps. And the second step is what most relevant, but I'll, I'll share all three just, just so your listeners are left hanging. So the first step he said was belief. People have to believe that this can be done. Even if it's seemingly impossible, they have to have the smallest ounce, that mustard seed of belief that somehow, some way. The second reason, the second step I should say, is more relevant to what we're talking about. And he started by sharing this. He goes, I got these new clients and we're in this group and we've got about 20 of them. And the first thing I say to this new group of clients is this. He goes, welcome to the training. The reason you're here is because you don't have integrity. (laughs) Now, you could imagine, right? You're showing up somewhere to get help with maybe the biggest challenge of your entire life. And the first intro is, welcome, you don't have integrity, right? So you can imagine the backlash, right? They're like, what are you talking about? You don't know me, what do you mean, right? And he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm sure you have integrity with other people. I'm sure you keep your word mostly with other people. You've just lost integrity with yourself. Mm. And he goes, let me give an example. Who here has ever said the diet starts Monday? Raise your hand. And did it start? Right. Who ever said, you know, New Year's Eve, 
that's the last day. And on New Year's Day, finally, I'm going to the gym and I'm never stopping. And did you stop? Yeah. He says, I'm sure you have it with other people. You just lost integrity with self. And the problem with that is self-integrity leads to self-dignity. Self-integrity leads to self-dignity. So if you've lost some of your self-integrity, well, then you've lost some of your self-dignity. You've lost some of your self-worth. And if you're not feeling worthy about yourself, well, it's really hard to believe. It's really hard to put in the work because you don't feel like you're worthy of doing the work. You don't feel like you're worthy of getting that result. And so he said, we need to restore your self-dignity by restoring your self-integrity. And so here's how he'd start that journey. He said, for the first week of this incredible weight loss journey, the first week, the only thing you're doing this first week is you're moving five minutes a day. That was it. It wasn't some crazy, profound P90X workout routine. It was just move five minutes a day. And for some of these people, they been pretty immobile. So it, it was a task. But here's what happened. They would move five minutes a day and the striatum and the brain goes, oh, hey, we said we were going to do this. And look it, we're doing it. And it got a little more motivated. And they did it again. Oh my gosh, we moved five minutes again. Maybe we can control this choice. And after several days of that first week where they're starting to move five minutes a day, the brain's getting more and more motivated. And so then that second week, he goes, great job. Now, the only thing we're going to add the second week is just make sure you're adding protein to your breakfast. That's it. Keep the five minutes a day, add protein to your breakfast. And they would do that and the brain would get more motivated because they would just add these simple tasks, these simple promises that they could keep. And they would build on that. Third week, all right, this time we're going to drink a gallon of water a day. And they would add that. And over time, he would just add these little incremental, what seems incremental activities to their habits. And months or years later, they're 200, 300, 400 pounds lighter. And so the step two that he calls is keeping small promises to yourself. Mm. Keeping small promises to yourself. That is awesome. I just, I love that, Mike. It really just reminds me of the concept of the domino effect right? That, uh, you know, they talk about in the one thing where you're looking for what is the first small domino that you can push. And, you know, each domino is capable of toppling another one that's 50% larger than itself. And by the 25th domino, a two inch domino turns into something that's as tall as the tallest building in the world. And that's how we achieve great things in life is step by step and understanding what are some of those first small dominoes that we can topple that are in our control and are easy enough for us to jump on right away and making sure that we're doing those things. That was cool. Yeah. You said that this guy had three, three <laughs> concepts. We've got some like bankers listening that might be, you know, calling me or texting me if you don't give the third one, Mike. So uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to leave anyone hanging. So you said step three, step three was community. Step through his community. So just getting around people who are on a similar goal, shared vision, a shared purpose, you know, wanting to achieve similar things. And I will just say too that oftentimes when I teach that that part about Chris and Heidi Powell, you know, I bring it back to, you know, what people are experiencing in their day to day. And so I'll often use the gym as an example. I'll say, you know, if someone hasn't been to the gym in 10 years, is a good strategy for them to say, you know what, I haven't been to the gym in 10 years. I'm gonna walk in that gym and I'm gonna lift the heaviest weight in there. I'm going to find the heaviest weight and I'm going to lift that. Probably not a good strategy, right? So instead, what I tell them is go find, like you said, that first domino, right? Go find that five pounder, that 10 pounder. Because if you haven't lifted in 10 years, even that five pounds, 10 pounds might be a little bit of a struggle. But what's more important is just by the fact that you go in there and start lifting, 
that part of the brain goes, hey, we said we were going to do this and we're starting to do it. We're controlling this choice. And that five pounds becomes 10 pounds, becomes 20 pounds, becomes 50 pounds or bigger eventually. And, and so I often say after that is, you know, on the coaching call is, you know, what once was really hard and heavy can become light and easy. What once was really hard and heavy, maybe even seemingly impossible, can become light and easy when you knock it out step by step in that way. And so an example for phone time, I might say, if you're having a hard time, if you haven't made calls in like 20 phone sessions or whatever, the best strategy maybe isn't jumping in saying, I'm going to make 100 calls, right? That might be too big of a weight. You know, so keep it smaller. Maybe make, I'm going to make 10 calls. If you need a smaller weight than that, five calls. If you need a smaller weight than that, okay, the first person that answers, I'm going to say hello to. And then when they say hello, and then you answer back with a hello, the brain goes, hey, we said we were going to say hello, and we did it. And that's like a one pound weight, but it's something, right? Mm -hmm. Just something for the brain to stack on and start building on just so we can show ourselves, hey, I can trust myself again. I can keep integrity with myself. Awesome. So the, the main idea here is the idea of keeping small promises to ourselves, And that in doing that, we're able to up-level those promises to bigger and bigger things. The cycle builds up and creates our motivation, fuels our motivation for everything else in our life. I feel, like, I feel like, Mike, that there's also an element of, of what I would call deserving that comes into play here, right? Like if somebody's, if somebody's doing something, if they're doing what they said they're going to do, they're trying hard, they're putting in effort, you feel like you deserve success. And I think when you feel like you deserve success, that also fuels that motivation, right? It's yeah. like, hey, I haven't come this far to not hit my goal, right? right? I'm going to follow through now. I've got this. Right. Yeah. And to me, it's like a faith that like, hey, if I'm putting in the right work, if I'm doing the right things, if I'm doing right by people, if I'm showing up the right ways, that's going to be rewarded. If it's not getting immediately rewarded, I have faith that somehow, some way it's going to come back to me. Right. And so I think that's spot on, you know, this feeling of if you're putting in the work, if you're doing it the right way, if you're committed to growth, if you're committed to learning, if you're committed to excellence, then having faith that that's going to produce a result that's worthy of that excellence. Nice. Nice. So the neuroscience of motivation and the, the key lesson here being the key lessons being identifying purpose, that purpose gives us the power to push through the pain and making sure that we have, that we create and keep lots of small promises that move us toward the bigger promises, the bigger lifts, the heavier lifts, I guess you could say, that will help us to achieve all of our goals. Yeah. And, and I'll say real quick on, the, on one final note of that is we have to appreciate those small promises. We have to acknowledge and appreciate them because there's a lot of people there that are maybe keeping their word and maybe even making great steps towards success, but because they're not pausing enough to actually acknowledge and appreciate them, they're not feeling those promises being fulfilled. They're not feeling their integrity and therefore they're not feeling their dignity. And that can be a, an easy way to get burnt out. And so I also think that it's important that we take time to reflect and acknowledge, hey, you know what? I did this right and I did that right. And hey, that went really well too. And the more we can celebrate within reason, right? We don't need excess celebration. If we celebrate too much too early, then, then maybe we feel like we already won before the game is over, right? But within reason, you know, having steps of celebration and acknowledgement that, that really anchors in that motivation. Because if we're not acknowledging it, we might not feel the motivation. Yep. 
celebrating small achievements. I think that is a key as well to keep that motivation moving forward. And I, and I guess I would encourage every listener to wrap up on this today to think about what is a promise you can keep to yourself today, right? Yeah. Everybody should implement this idea right now, right? What is something you've been meaning to do that you know you want to do, that you know you should do, that you're you know, inspired for, but maybe you just haven't taken the action, right? What is something you can do today that is keeping a promise to yourself that's going to get this process rolling for you to help spike your motivation? Yeah, absolutely. Even if it's that smallest domino, right? Especially if it's something you've been putting off for too long. Just what's that smallest domino you can knock out today? Excellent. Now, Mike, the second key concept that we wanted to talk about today revolves around how we view the problems or challenges that show up in our lives and the paradigm shift that everybody needs to make in order to be truly empowered to be successful. And so what what can you say about this? Yeah, so this one comes up a lot too. And so typically I'll hear someone pose some of the problems they're dealing with. And a lot of times what I what I reflect back to them is problems are not our problems. Our biggest problem is that we think we're not supposed to have problems. And because we think we're not supposed to have problems, as soon as a problem arises, we we get flustered, we get bent out of shape. We say, hey, this is not this is not supposed to be here. It's not supposed to how it's not how it's supposed to go. Mm. And we kind of debilitate ourselves because we focus so heavily on the problem and how it's not how it's not supposed to be that in some cases we kind of start fighting reality and reality always wins. And so where I learned this from was uh, Tony Robbins was interviewing Norman Vincent Peale. And Norman Vincent Peale was kind of one of the founders of positive thinking. And he wrote a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. And when Tony was interviewing him, I want to say Norman was either in his 70s, 80s, 90s, forgive me for not remembering exactly, but he was, he was older in his age. And he was telling Tony about a story where he was interviewing the heavyweight boxing champion of the world. And I want to say this was like in the 30s or 40s. And either way, this was back when boxing was even a bigger deal, right? It was like the headline sport. And if you were the boxing heavyweight champion of the world, like you were a big deal back then. And so Norman was interviewing him. And as he was interviewing him, he was telling Tony Robbins, he said, you know what? I couldn't help but notice this guy's arms were just so big. Like they were (laughs) huge. And he goes, so I'm, I'm interviewing this champion and I say to the guy, you know, sir, I'm sorry. I just got to ask, how'd you get your arms so big, right? How how did you get your arms so big? And the boxing champion looks at him and goes, are you just making small talk or do you really want to know? And Norman said, well, I was kind of just making small talk. But when he asked me that way, I was like, well, I really want to know. And so he goes, I'll tell you how I got these arms so big. The reason why these, the reason why these arms are so big is because I push through and I pull through the biggest, heaviest resistance that I can. I find the biggest, heaviest resistance I can find, and I push through it, and I pull through it. And when I push through and pull through that resistance, I sculpt these bad boys into what you see today. And Norm was hearing that, and he thought, wow, what a powerful metaphor for life. Mm. And he thought to himself, that's a great example of problems. He thought, you know, problems are a part of life. If you don't have problems, that means you're dead. So if you have problems, that's a good thing. It means you're alive. And he said, problems are the necessary resistance we need for our growth. 
the necessary resistance we need to become the even better version of ourselves to take on what we're being called to do, to be able to make an even greater impact in this world. They're the necessary resistance. And so when we look at problems as something that's not supposed to happen, we're missing out on the opportunity that problems pose to us. Such a great mindset, Mike. I mean, as you said, if you don't have any problems, then you're probably dead. Like we all have issues or challenges or some sort of negativity that crops up in our life. Every single person has that. Like that is normal. The, the degree of them is different for sure, right? Like, I mean, it, admittedly, right? The challenge of like losing a loved one, for example, is a far greater challenge or issue than what most people experience. But regardless of where you are on the spectrum of having problems, you know, or challenges in your life, the mindset that these are the resistance we need for our own growth, pushing through these challenges, pushing through these problems is going to make us bigger and better, right, in the long run. That's just such a great mindset. I love it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And, and, and on that same note, I'll just mention that another problem with problems is not only do we feel like we're not supposed to have them, it's also, this comes from Dan Sullivan of Strategic Coaching, it's, you know, the problem also has to do with how we look at our problems. That's really a lot of it too. And a lot of how we attach negative meaning based on those perspective of problems. And so one of the most common negative meanings that I get into on, on my coaching calls, and this has been life-changing for me. I know this was, I, I can remember today, to the date exactly where I was when I taught this to David Roy and just how impactful it was for him. We were sitting outside of his backyard and uh, like this rocked him in, in the best of ways. And that is the three P's of learned helplessness. And so anytime we attach one of these three P's to a problem, we train ourselves to feel helpless. We're not truly helpless. When we attach one of these P's to a problem, we train ourselves to feel helpless. And I'll, I'll just go through these rather quickly. The first P is permanent. Anytime we look at a problem and consciously or unconsciously say to ourselves, what if it's this way or worse forever? Well, then we feel helpless. We say to ourselves, the next thing we say is, what's the point in doing anything about it? It's going to stay right. this bad anyways. Why even try? Right? And so the reminder I often tell people is, these problems are not permanent. Right? This too shall pass. This is temporary. Right? And sometimes people will challenge me. Sometimes someone will say, well, Mike, what if uh, someone gets in a car accident and they lose their legs? Heaven forbid. They lose their legs. And you know they'll say, that seems pretty permanent to me, Mike. Right? And, okay. Yeah, I get that. Right? They're not growing new legs back. But the idea that it has to be a problem doesn't have to be permanent. Doesn't have to be permanent, right? And if someone can distinguish that where, yeah, it's happened, it's reality, you got to accept it. And it doesn't have to be a permanent problem. Now, all of a sudden, they've freed themselves to do something more about it, whether that's getting prosthetics or at the very least, just having the best attitude someone can have without having legs, right? And so just releasing from that. And I know I haven't personally been through that experience, but I've been through some traumatic stuff and I've been able to release the permanent problem associated to those traumas, even if they're things that are chronic or lingering. So that's the first P. The second P is pervasive or prevalent, depending on which word you like. But the essence there is when we take a problem, we make it our whole life. We take a problem, we focus on it, we focus on it, we pour energy into it, we pour energy into it, and then it becomes our whole life. Or the problem becomes our whole business or it becomes our whole relationship. When in reality, it's one part of one area of our life. 
You see this a lot, especially after a breakup. When someone goes through a major breakup, they say things like, my life is over. Nothing will ever be the same, right? And the truth is, as important as a relationship may have been, it's not the only part of your life. It's one part of one area and one moment in time of your life. And maybe you have great friendships or a great family or a great career. But if we let that problem become our whole life, we then we filter it, it becomes a lens we see the rest of our life through. And all of a sudden, we don't see all the good. And so the truth is remembering it's one part of one area. It's not pervasive. And the third P is personal. It's personal. It's when we take a problem and we say to ourselves things like, no one knows what I'm feeling. No one knows what I'm going through. No one knows what this is like. They can't understand what this feels like inside. Easy for them. Lucky for them. And when we do this, we start to isolate ourselves. We start to resist help. We start to kind of create our own little jail cell. And then we start pointing and blaming from that jail cell, feeling helpless when we're the ones that put ourselves in our jail. And the response I often give to that is, you know, even if someone doesn't understand exactly what we're going through, even if they haven't gone through what we're going through, there's only two narratives to every human being's story. And that's struggle and progress. Struggle and progress is the two narratives to every human being's story. And so even if someone hasn't dealt with what we're dealing with, they understand struggle at least to some degree. So that's the truth. The other truth is there are people who have dealt with what we're dealing with. You know, sometimes we, we, say, we get so caught up in our problems and get so much significance from our problems that we start to think our problems are so unique that no other human being has ever experienced them. Our problems are not that special, right? Other people have gone through it. And the truth is other people have gone through similar problems and found a way to get through it. And the other truth is There's people who've been through infinitely worse, infinitely worse than what we're dealing with. And the truth is there's people who've been through infinitely worse who've found a way to get through those problems and come out better on the other end instead of bitter. And so I remind people, if those are the truths, then we're not alone and we can get through this just like others have gotten through it and worse. And the other side of the personal coin, I'll just say real quick, is when we take a problem and we make it all about us. We take a problem and we put all the blame all on us. And I would say to that, that no human being is so powerful that any one problem can be all their fault. Now, they might be a huge contributing factor, right? They might be a big part of that problem, but no human being is so powerful that any human being can be all of the reason why something is wrong. And so when we do that, we start putting way too much weight on ourselves than we can handle. We're not meant to handle that weight because all the problem isn't all of our fault. There's other people, other circumstances, other things at play. Even if we go back to like how that person was raised and like their background and their parents, like there's other contributing factors. And so what I tell people is, hey, if you're feeling that way, first off, you know, if you actually did play a part in the mistake, own it, right? Apologize sincerely, own your part, and then get focused on the solution. So many people are 95% problem-focused, 5% solution-focused. It's all about the problem, all about blame, all about fault. Who screwed this up? How could I have screwed this up so much? How could you screw this up so much? That doesn't serve. And so it's I say 5% problem-focused. Don't ignore the problem. Acknowledge it. And like I said, apologize if you played a part. But then 95%, what are we doing about it? How is this happening for us, not to us? How can we solve this? How are we learning from this? How are we growing from this? What's the greater good that can come from this? And the more we pour energy into that, 
the quicker we're going to get to solutions and the quicker we're going to get to realizing that this has all happened for us. And so those, those are the three Ps. Those that I feel are some of the most important meanings to recognize. What are we attaching to our problems? And it's important that we don't attach those Ps so we don't then attach artificial helplessness to our problems. Yeah, when people attach those Ps, the belief that comes up is, if I could summarize it as simply as possible, it's, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. I can't do this. People, y- you'll hear people say it that, right? Especially, you know, dealing with little kids. Like I have little kids and, you know, they'll, you'll give them something to do and sometimes they'll be like, oh, I, I can't do this. And I, I try to teach them all the time. Have you seen anyone else do that? Well, yeah, mm-hmm. I've seen you do it. Well, then guess what? You can do it, right? So yeah. this is not, I'm teaching them that a problem is not permanent, right? That they can learn, they can get new technique, whatever, try it this way, try it that way. And eventually, right, all of these little things that they once couldn't do, they begin doing. And, you know, we're trying to help people to learn that as they evolve and tackle some, what I would perceive as being small problems in life, they're training themselves on how to be able to handle the bigger problems in life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So another thing I cover when it comes to problems is there's six psychological needs that drive all human thoughts, feelings, and behavior. And I know we don't have time to get into all six right now, but two of those needs I'll reference because there are a whole lot of why problems continue to perpetuate in our life. So the first need I'll mention is a need for certainty, right? And that could be a need for comfort a need for commitment, a need for faith. There's so many things that fall under the umbrella of certainty. And we meet this need in all different types of ways, whether that's through habits and rituals, um, whether that's you know drugs, alcohol, other addictions, anything that we're familiar with. Um, we all have the need to basically come home and see that how we left our house is how we're coming home to our house, right? We want to come home and see it's how we left it, right? So we all have this need for certainty. And some of the most common ways we meet this need for certainty is by lowering expectations. That's a pretty common way. Another way we meet this need for certainty is by generalizing. Rather than having our brain have to do any thinking, we just generalize. You know, all women are this. All men are that. All, uh, all Republicans are this. All Democrats are that, right? We're seeing a lot of generalizing nowadays. But the most common way we meet this need for certainty is by keeping problems around. Hmm. Because as long as we keep problems around, we can be certain. It's not our fault we're not living our best life and being our best selves. It's the problem's fault that I'm not being my best self, living my best life. And so problems are actually the number one addiction in the world. More than drugs, alcohol, sex, or anything else, problems are the number one addiction. And this is why a lot of people don't even want their problems fixed. This is why sometimes, you know, people who are like in the coaching space or a space that I'm in where you want to just help everyone. Sometimes it can be a little discouraging because not everyone wants help. And one of the reasons why this is, is because as long as they've got their problems, they can be certain it's not their fault, right? So it absolves responsibility. And then significance is another need I'll mention here. One of, one of the six needs is significance. You need to feel important, recognized, valued, appreciated, needed, different, special, unique, and all different types of way to meet this need for significance, right? Some people meet it by pushing people down, tearing others down. Some people meet it by lifting others up, encouraging people and and helping people, right? All these different ways to meet it. But the most common way we meet our need for significance is by letting problems get bigger. Letting problems get bigger. We all have these needs. 
We need them. They're like air. Whether you know about these needs or not, you're constantly seeking how to fulfill these needs. And if we can meet these needs, rather than having to achieve, work hard, grow, overcome things, if we can meet these needs by just sitting back and complaining, sitting sitting back and just staying in victimhood, sitting, sitting back and connecting with others in shared victimhood, well, now I get all this certainty and all this significance without having to do much. So the more I can say, look at my problems, look how bad I've got. Do you think you've got it bad? Look how bad I've got it. Well, now we get all this significance, all this value of worth of, hey, look at me, because we've got these big problems, not because it's anything we're doing with our lives or with ourselves. And so because we have certainty and significance that for a lot of people are running the show, we let problems linger and we let them get bigger. And what happens is then we have this concept that that's called safe problems versus quality problems. And so a safe problem is problems that we, we let stick around and we let get bigger because it keeps us safe from addressing what's called quality problems. And quality problems are the real needle movers of life, right? It's, it's overcoming something that if you overcame it, you'd be a far better version of yourself. If you overcame it, you would learn strategies and techniques and skills that would amplify your value, amplify your impact in the world. And most people, though, they want to avoid those quality problems. Here's why. Because they tend to be bigger. They tend to be bigger tasks, which means more uncertainty. And because they tend to be bigger tasks, there's a risk for more insignificance because the degree of failure is higher. Mm -hmm. So rather than risking failure and therefore risking feeling insignificant, and all the uncertainty that's around that, rather than risking all that, let me just hold on to these problems, mostly unconscious, by the way. Most people are doing this unconsciously, of course. Let me just hold on to these problems because they keep me safe from having to face that. What are some examples of these safe problems that somebody might be holding on to? So I'll give an experience that I went through. And, and this experience might be a little more extreme compared to more common examples I'll give in a moment. But for me, it was very easy to fall into this one because it felt very justified. It felt very reasonable, right? And, and so what that was, was uh, about seven years ago, there was a, a total random stranger that came to our house thinking that someone else had come to their house who had robbed from him, and ba- which they didn't. It was a total random stranger, wrong place, wrong time. And basically, long story short, this guy pulls a gun on me and I get the guy to leave, but we don't know if he's coming back with more people and more guns. So... My wife and I at the time go from having lunch on a Thursday afternoon to moving to my parents' house within an hour. And longer story shorter, essentially, all that stress and trauma, I handled the moment kind of semi-heroically, but after that, I went to some PTSD and I became very angry and all that led to eventually my wife leaving. And so when my wife left, I was in understandably some hard times, right? I was, I was feeling pretty down, right? I was just dealing with this gun trauma, having to move from a house, and my wife leaving. And so I was going through some real stuff. However, and at the time I didn't know it, but fortunately I was able to realize this and and move on. I was allowing myself to stay in that trauma. I was allowing myself to stay in that grief longer than necessary. Because as long as I could stay in that grief, I could avoid the quality problem of becoming a world-class coach and speaker. You see, at the time I was going just, I was just getting started with coaching training. I maybe had like two or three coaching clients, if that. So I was still going through coaching training. There was a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort invested into this, into this career that none of it was guaranteed, 
right? What if I put all this time, energy, money into this and I fail at it? What if I have this big dream, this big goal and I go after it and it crumbles? So there was a lot of risk there. And so rather than facing the risk of all that uncertainty and potential insignificance of becoming a world-class coach and speaker, I could hold on to that trauma of, well, how am I going to become a world-class coach and speaker if every time I close my eyes, I see a gun on my face? Or you know, how am I going to become a world-class coach and speaker if I'm afraid to leave my house? Or how am I going to become a world-class coach and speaker if I failed my marriage? How am I going to help other people with their marriages if I failed at mine? Right. And so, as long as I can hold on to all that, I wouldn't have to face all that risk. And no one would have called me out on it. Right. So, it kept me safe because no one would have said, Oh, Mike, you're blowing that whole gun thing on your face out of proportion. Right. Or, Oh, Mike, you're kind of exaggerating the whole wife leaving you thing. That's not that big a deal. No one would have said that. So, I could have stayed safe in my problems instead of Mm. facing what would really move the needle of my life. Hmm. And how do people do this in, uh, in real life in, in more simple terms? So maybe a more common example would be like, you know, excuses we come up with during push, right? Like, oh man, I, I know I need to make calls, but I, I can't make calls because my signal is not that great. Or, you know, especially in the days where we're doing a whole lot more in-home appointments, we'd hear all the time, oh, you know, I got all these appointments lined up, but my car broke down. And so I guess I can't go do those appointments. And so now they're not risking the, the potential insignificance of doing those demos and customers not buying or risking the idea of going after a big push goal that they then would fail at. Now they can point to the car breaking down or them having phone issues or you know a family member needs their help with something. And I'm not saying don't help family, right? Be there for your family, but don't use that helping your family as an excuse to avoid what we should be doing in the moment. Right. And so we tend to let things, especially the things that seem like valid excuses, we're really good at rationalizing, rational lies, right? We're really good at rationaling lies to ourselves, right? <laughs> that, that make it make sense, make it feel justified. And we got to be really clear on that. What I'm getting out of the, the idea of the safe problems is that people tend to stay in these safe problems versus attacking what you call quality problems. And that enables them to stay in a comfort zone. Right. It enables them to have this feeling of certainty that they want, but it limits them from being able to achieve the great things that are possible in their life. It minimizes risk, I guess you could also say, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, not everybody uh, associates risk as being a positive thing. And the end result is we get stuck in these safe problems. We're you know working on these things, but we're never really solving them. But we never really get to reaching our full potential and tackling the bigger things that are out there. We're, we're right. using these problems as excuses for mediocrity. Exactly. Yeah. And feeling and still feeling okay about it. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So how, yeah, why don't you, uh, bring this home with uh, some thoughts on how people can apply this stuff in, in real life right now. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing I would say is to the listeners, you know, make a list of what are some potential safe problems that you're letting linger in your life right now. And this, this takes some honesty, right? This takes some real self-reflection and some of it's going to be obvious and glaring. Some of it, not so obvious. Some of it, we've got to take a look at and say, wow, 
you know, this thing that I had going on, am I really dealing with this or am I really letting this linger? Right? So make a list. What are some potential safe problems that you're letting linger that are really the, there are things you actually could do something about, but we're not doing as much about as we could just so we can stay safe in them. And then I would also encourage to write down what are some quality problems? What, what are some things that, and maybe it's not quality problems. I know that's the word we're using here, but maybe it's more challenges that you want to work towards and really more than challenges. What are the opportunities? Right? Right. Are you seeing more challenges in your opportunities or more opportunities in your challenges? Getting clear, just to kind of bring it all together from what we talked about earlier. When you look at those quality problems, rather than looking at the what could go wrong, look at what could go right. What are you wanting out of that? What's the vision that you want out of that? Not the fear of what could go wrong, but what's the faithful vision of what you do want to have happen? And once you get clear on that vision of what you want to have happen, then get clear on the purpose for why you want that vision. Why does it matter for you? Right? So you got this quality problem. For me, it's becoming a world-class coach and speaker. You know, so then I envisioned what that would look like succeeding at it. I envisioned what that would look like impacting lives, making a difference in other people's lives, right? Making a difference on a one-on-one call or making a difference from stage, right? And I've been blessed since then to realize that vision since that experience back seven years ago. And I was also clear on why it would matter. I'd be really connected to how much the idea of impacting lives and doing it in a way that really feels aligned with who I am mattered so much to me. So that vision, that purpose, and then controlling your choices towards that vision and purpose. Controlling your choices, having aligned action, aligned action towards that vision and purpose. And that may be starting with that smallest domino possible and then knocking down the next domino and then knocking down the next domino. But either way, it's getting clear on, okay, so that I can start controlling right now that's going to align me and move me in the direction of that vision and purpose that I really want. And for me, that's taking those quality problems and flipping them around and realizing they're quality opportunities and getting clear on what those are, why we want it, and start moving towards it. And when we do that, we can become unstoppable. We can become unstoppable because that is literally what's going to create the most motivation in our brains, which then creates the most impact in our reality. Mike, super powerful. I love it making a list of the safe problems that we're using as excuses. What am I allowing to linger in my life? What are the things that I'm allowing to linger? And then identifying, you know, what are the quality problems that could really be needle movers in our life that could really change things for us? And the paradigm of what could go right instead of what might go wrong, how might I fail, right? I think about Fima Zanke's question, what would I love? Right. What would I love to have happen in this situation? What could go right? Turning that quality problem into a vision of what can be, circling back to all the reasons why that achieving that vision will be important for us in our life. And then thinking about what are the first dominoes? How can I begin controlling my choices to lead me in that direction? And then we start on the upward spiral that leads us to all the things that we want. I love how this all ties together, Mike. This has been great insight today. Have you got any last words you want to share with the, uh, with the audience? I'm just grateful to be here. And, and I appreciate you, Dan, and everything that you're doing for the community and, and beyond Cutco. I know this is impacting so many lives, even outside of our, of our Cutco world. Uh, I'm grateful for the listeners. I'm thankful for the chance to be here. And 
I hope what we cover today serves everyone well. Yeah. How can people find or follow you, Mike? So I'm a little bit on social media. I've been, I've been a little distant from it, but I'm still on there every once in a while. And um, there's some other things I'm working on in the background. There's some retreats that I'm going to be putting on here in the near future. Still playing with a little bit of the naming and the branding of that. But uh, I'll be putting on some retreats, really helping people get clarity on their identity, who they are, what they're about, what they want their life to be about, helping people with their relationships, helping people with their communication, and uh, also just helping people with business, sales, influence, strategies. So we're going to be unpacking that here in the next few months as well. Been working on that behind the scenes. And uh, I'll be excited to, to be launching that soon. And I'll let you and your listeners know when that's coming through. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listeners can go to changinglivespodcast.com to connect with me and see uh, show notes for this episode as well. And uh, we'll update that as you come up with some of your plans for those future events and things that you're doing, Mike. So thanks so much for contributing to this audience today. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Dan. All right. That was Mike Lonzetta. Super powerful. You can see why this guy is a resource for so many great people in the Cutco Vector world right now. Just has a lot of awesome ideas. He's studied his craft and has a lot of great ideas. Understanding motivation and what lights up our brain are reasons why. The idea that purpose gives us the power to push through the pain. Have you identified those reasons why? Do you have them posted somewhere where you're reminded constantly of why you're doing what you're doing? And then having that feeling of control that comes from making and keeping small commitments over and over again, setting and achieving small goals over and over again. These are the things that give us that feeling of control in our life that will help fuel our motivation forward. I also love, of course, the whole idea of how we view our problems. I talked about this a little bit in the solo episode that was released just before this one with Mike, where I talk about mental toughness and the idea that, you know, the problem for most people isn't their problems. It's the idea that they're not supposed to have problems, right? That is the problem. We are going to all have challenges and problems. We just have to view them differently. They're not permanent. We're capable of achieving our goals anyway, that problems are the necessary resistance for us to push through for our own growth, avoiding that feeling of helplessness of, I can't do this, right? And not allowing ourselves to continue to use these small problems in our life as excuses for not tackling the bigger problems, which are really the opportunities in our life. Do some self-reflection and think about this concept. Sometimes in self-reflection, people will think about how am I responsible for this issue in my life And I think that it's helpful to tweak that word. Instead of using the word responsible, use the word complicit. Because sometimes responsibility feels a little heavy. Like, whoa, I'm not responsible for all that. Like this happened and this happened and this happened, right? And that's true that there are sometimes exterior things that cause some of the challenges we have. But complicit is sort of how have I allowed this to fester? How have I allowed this to continue, right? How have I been complicit? And think about that idea about being complicit. And then you might consider, well, if I solve this problem, what could go right? How could I be successful? What are my reasons for doing that? And what are some of the choices I can make that I can control, the steps I can take now that will lead me in that direction that I want to go? So much good stuff. I hope you enjoyed this. This is probably worth another listen. And certainly go back and revisit Mike's original podcast episode with me, number 106. Thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this today. Thanks for listening. 
If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.